three mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 86. I'm Tracy Prophet. I'm Ruth Urquiaga. And I'm Jay Prophet. And we're excited to talk about math, but also we we got to talk about the inauguration for just a minute because it's the day after and we would be talking about it if we were running. Um, was and, it any good? Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. It was awesome. <laughs> right? Um, I, I'm i just still in awe. That's not, there's not even a good enough word for what I feel about Amanda Gorman and her poem. Um, yes. I, I just stuff. I just watched a an interview with her. I bet you haven't even seen it. Ooh, an interview with her. Showing off. I yeah, had <laughs> been in the middle of the night. I felt like or something. Um, with her and Anderson Cooper, where she talks about her process. Did you watch that already? No, I didn't. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll have to watch it. Um, it made me love her even more. Um, yeah, I just feel a whole new kind of hope and relief. And yeah, anybody else want to share anything? Their reflections on yesterday. For me, it's been really fun to look at my students from my first years who are now, you know, of the voting age who are just so excited to have a person of color, someone that looks like them in a leadership position like that. They're just, it's just fun to see them excited. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it was interesting. And, you know, I paid more attention uh, to all the other stuff that was, you know, that was going on. I had unfortunately had a, a workshop yesterday morning that didn't let out until right at noon. And so I was trying to catch little glimpses of the, of the uh, inauguration. I had it on, on another screen muted um, while they were finishing up. So I could, you know, so I didn't miss anything. Um, but it was, and you know, I think, I think watching things streamed or watching things, I mean, I know the inauguration has been live on television for 70 years now, but, um, or 60 years now, but it's, it was different this year, I think, because we've just gotten used to watching everything happen from home in, you know, because we haven't been able to go to things, just that ability to watch things stream on your computer or on your television or wherever you're watching it is more expected and more used now than, than before. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was for me. And so, I mean, I found my watch, found myself watching the whole, you know, the whole thing, whether it was muted or, or later I was listening to it once, once I was done with my workshop. Um, and I was, you know, I, I listened to the performances. I listened to the speech. I listened to um, the, the stream I was, I was watching had these two uh, Capitol building, historians talking about the history of the Capitol building and the history of other inaugurations while there was nothing really going on the screen. You know, once the, the president and the, the vice president went back into the Capitol, there was some other ceremony, there was some other stuff. And, you know, while we're looking at a picture of a giant, beautiful building, but that's it, they were, they were explaining things and they were talking about stuff. And it was just an interesting whole, you know, I, I mean, I probably watched that stream for three hours, um, <laughs> you, know, you know, while I was doing some other things and hearing that. And then they would go back to, you know, now they're inside in the rotunda walking around, looking at the different gifts or the different ceremonial things. And then now they're going out and getting in the cars and they're the military bands walk by and, and they had a, they had a name for it. Um, pass and review or something like that. And it was just just pieces of it that I'd never seen or never paid attention to before. Um, and I think there was a lot of reasons why this, this inauguration was something I was paying closer attention to and getting to see, and it was pretty, you know, it was pretty neat. The musician in me really enjoyed seeing all the, the military bands pop up all over the place and all the different ones and the different groups Yeah. and the Herald trumpets. Those are always fun to watch yeah. and listen to. And then shout out to the Bernie memes. Yes. Who might be like the third or fourth most exciting thing about the day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> all the different, all the different Bernie memes. Yeah. Yep. Jay made two with local, um, yeah, favorite spots, which are pretty cool. We'll add those to the show notes as well. Yeah. 
All right. Well, it was an awesome day. We still have to go to school today and talk about math. So <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get to it here, I guess. Um, we're going to talk about strategies that we use for tutoring or remediating either one of those words I think would work with maybe one-on-one or in a small group with a student Um, because both of us have been doing some of that lately and it's kind of what was on our mind and I feel like if you're a teacher you should do that like there's always a kid who is going to benefit from one-on-one right um it's my go-to anytime I have a parent conference like you know, they're not doing well. Okay, well then how about if they come see me this time and this time and this time? Yeah. I just feel like if I make myself available and they take advantage of it, they're really going to see the benefits of it. Yeah. Yeah. You I mean, you talk about that a lot. Like, and, and I don't know, part of that has to do with your situation because there aren't buses that, you know, most kids get picked up from their parents. So right. their their flexibility of when they can leave school is way greater. Um, well, and I did do it when I was in the public school and they did ride buses, but it was always accompanied with, yes, you can stay and then Mrs. E will give you a ride home. <laughs> um, that's not even quite as easy now because yeah. you have to have all the things signed yeah. to put a kid in your car and take them home. But yeah. there were many times where kids were like, no, no, I can't stay because I got to ride the bus. Like, oh, well, I'll just call mom and ask if you can get a ride home. Yeah. Were there activity um, buses in elementary school? Uh, in our schools, like now, or yeah. when we were a kid? No, 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 no like no. When you were teachers? No. I don't. I couldn't remember that far back. I remember in middle school and high school there was always the activity bus. Now, I I didn't ride the activity bus because my, we lived pretty close to school, and you know, mom didn't work full-time and so we could almost always get a ride home or or something like that but um there was always the activity bus and it was like if there was something going on after school they're like and you can ride the activity it was like the the catch-all there was always going to be a bus going somewhere near your house that if you Mm -hmm. had something to do after school that you could get and i remember that, that being like at the time i didn't think about it but now i think about how what a good option that always was for these kinds of you know more spontaneous things yeah we um we have an after school program when it's not coronavirus mm-hmm. and that has a bus but it's it's not as flexible as what you're right. describing. All right, Ruth. So Ruth's going to take the um the the in person version because that's what she's doing, and then I'm going to try to talk about some things that I've been doing lately uh, virtually through Zoom. So what so what have you? Noticed? I have a um a student that I taught last year who now comes to me once a week and it's really just like a confidence builder she wants to come and sit down with me and let me check her homework that she has that night she's doing really well and it's fun she said missy you say everything is fun like when she sits down and i say what are we doing today and she's like uh dividing exponents oh this is so fun (laughs) (laughs) so a couple of weeks ago, she was doing scientific notation. And I'm like, oh, scientific notation. I just taught that. Well, I didn't teach it quite to this extent. <laughs> and so we are solving. She always has some of her homework done, but the word problems, she just has this like <gasps> words. I can't do it. And so I've been trying to come up with some strategies for how she can feel confident like, let's draw a picture. Let's use some of these different tools that you have. And she tells me, the tools always make sense when you say them, but I can't think of them on my own. Huh. So the ones that we did, this last one was scientific notation. And the question says an acre is about four and five hundredths times 10 to the seventh square meters. How many square centimeters are in four acres? Well, if you are a keyword spotter that question says how many square meters are in and you're like oh that's division we got to divide but it's really a multiplication problem and you we were able to figure it out because well let me read the next one the next one says a cubic millimeter is about six and one tenth times ten to the negative five cubic inches how many cubic millimeters are in one and 22 cubic inches. So the words are the exact same, 
but one of them is multiplication and one of them is division. Yeah. And so wow. our first strategy was to read them with whole numbers, something we could solve mentally, and then look at what we did with those numbers. And our second strategy was to create a ratio table. And when we created a ratio table, she was able to see a proportion and then say, oh, that's a division problem. Okay. So, and when I asked you to solve it, you actually changed the labels from cubic millimeters and cubic inches to feet and inches. Yeah. Because you can process that or see that better than millimeters and inches. Right. Um, so it, making it something that you can do mentally, because at this point, when you're in a, an algebra class, you have a little bit of mental math ability using whole numbers. And so if you can take the fractions and the decimals, and in this case, the scientific notation out, and replace them with whole numbers, you're going to have a better opportunity to figure out what it is you're supposed to do. I have a question. Um, do you do you feel like that skill of changing the making an easier problem? That's the strat that's the problem solving strategy we're talking mm -hmm. about here is is making a simpler problem or using simpler numbers. Do you think that comes from can can we only do that well because we already kind of know how to solve this problem <laughs> or do you think a person who's trying to figure it out, who really doesn't know, do you think they could come up with the numbers? You know, like I've used I've used this strategy before with a kid, like, hey, let's simplify it. Let's make it this and this. But if the kid has no idea, is that is that a strategy they can use on their own? So I think I think yes. Um and I'm only saying that because I'm, I didn't necessarily do it in this one because it was one-on-one -on -one and I was sitting there. So I helped her with the numbers, but I have used that strategy in my classroom and really which number is big and which number is small. And the numbers that you pick make them factors or multiples of each other so that if it is a multiplication problem, the answer becomes evident. So you can just have your go-to numbers. Like I'm going to use two and six. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to pretend like every kid uses this strategy and it's amazing, but I feel like the answer is yes. If you have, if you've been taught that, I don't think it's innate, even yeah. for kids with number sense that they would use that for a strategy, but is that a strategy you use, Jay Prophet? Are you? I'm not paying attention. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so no. <laughs> kind of got beyond what I was comprehending. So the strategy and... is: if you see a really hard word problem, okay, or practical problem, or just you you're trying to figure something out in real life, and you you're like, I don't even know what operation to use. One of the strategies is to simplify, and and you part of why you don't know is because the numbers are so bizarre, right? Simplifying the problem with much easier numbers that you could mentally figure out and then think about what operation did I use and then apply that to your hard numbers. That makes sense when you say it to me, but I don't think I would have ever gone to that in my head. I don't think I'd have been like, oh, let me use six and eight and see if I can figure it out that way. I would have stripped the numbers probably off of it and tried to understand. So like know. a numberless word problem. Maybe. I don't know. Like, well, let me give you this example. I, um, in high school, I I was uh, in, took physics and then AP physics, and I never struggled with which formula to use or the 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 problem. I struggled with the math, so I knew which formula to use or which you know which situation it was. Right. And Brian Garrett knew the math, so together we made one really good physics student. Um, <laughs> and so. That's, I mean, I, I just, maybe that just wasn't ever the part or if, or if I didn't understand it, I don't know that just want to go to, I, I figured out, I figured out the process and the numbers weren't, weren't holding me back at the, They weren't holding me back from understanding the, the formula or the process. They were holding me back from completing the problem because I struggled with the math part. Yeah. But. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, hmm. I think I think it's something to try, and then like Ruth, like you said, something to teach explicitly as a strategy. That's good. So the other strat, the other thing that happened was she came in this week and she was doing types of triangles, and I couldn't help but think about Trip and our whole like. Uh-huh triangle conversation yeah. we had with him and you also said um, oh this is fun <laughs> i know i did say oh i love triangles so she's like doing the algebraic what's the missing angle and i said so tell me about how you know that the angles equal 180 and she said because the teacher said make it set equal to 180 it's like oh we got to do this so i get a piece of paper and i cut like 10 triangles and mark the angles and show her how to tear them and line them up on the edge of her desk. And I am like, isn't that cool? Do another one. And she's like, they're all going to be like that, right? (laughs) Yeah, but you got to be excited about it. (laughs) They're all going to be like that, right? Um, So anyways, we're moving through just, and she said, that's why I come to you because you just explain things differently. So as much as it's something that I do, like I offer, hey, come see me one-on-one. There's also merit sometimes in seeing a teacher who says it a different way because mm-hmm. hearing it a different way or allowing a student to share his thoughts, which, you know, I do a lot of that as well. But sometimes there just comes a point where you're like, okay, I'm glad you got it from someone else. In my opinion, I think she said the exact same thing I said, but she's helping you understand. So, so okay, so you, you like totally hit on something I was thinking about yesterday. Um, we are preparing for kind of like a round of this happening at our school. Teachers have identified some kids that they want, you know, remediation to happen with. Mm-hmm. and But an outside person, like someone other than the teacher, is going to be the one providing the remediation. And one person was saying, we're doing multiplication. The kid needs help on, on multiplication. And she said, this is the this is the algorithm that we're using. Um, she's doing, instead of like the traditional algorithm, they do partial products, basically. And I had this moment of like, okay, if I'm going to help this person prepare to do this tutoring, do... <sighs> Do we like just start with exactly where the teacher is and move forward with that particular algorithm? Or is the kid having a hard time because they're struggling with that algorithm? Do we go in a different direction? That's a that's a hard decision to figure out as the not the teacher. Um, so is the tutor a teacher, just not their teacher? Is it? It is a teacher at our school, yes. Okay. I, just, I mean, it's one thing if this is somebody who regularly or knows how to teach math mm-hmm. just isn't their everyday teacher um i think and what i'm saying is is different is they may be able to help think of other strategies or you know what i was thinking in that process is if you start with the algorithm and the student is not catching it then you go to where they are you figure out what does make sense to them and then guide them back to the algorithm yeah that's a good idea. Start start with where the teacher is and kind of see what's going on. What yeah. what are what are the kinds of mistakes they're making? What, and my thought was, let the kids start with where the teacher is. Oh, like what even, do you know yeah. mm-hmm. that you're supposed to do first, or you know how do you start this yeah. problem? Yeah. And if they're like, I don't know at all, then maybe it's time to go back to well, what does multiplication mean? Yeah. And fill in some kind of gap that way. Yeah. There's definitely merit in, you know, Mrs. E, my son is has a math tutor. Can the math tutor call you and see what you're teaching? Mm-hmm. But when that math teacher, tutor calls me, she gets a list of objectives. And then if she asks, well, how did you teach this? But I'm not going to assume that she wants me to tell her what I've done. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it's kind of a touchy thing but I feel like the whole the other thing I do is I have a student who didn't do well on his last test and then he threw his test in the trash and so that meant he couldn't do test corrections and his mom was not very happy so I said why don't you just let him come see me every day after school he can come and do one problem so we're doing greatest common factor and yesterday he came in and He's doing his prime factorization trees. 
And he just gets his multiplication facts wrong. Like he wrote five times five is 10. Well, when you make that kind of a problem in your tree, then it makes your greatest common factor really big. And as I'm walking around, those are the kinds of things that I look for, but they're really easy to miss. And so now he's kind of on my radar. You know, I'm looking for, and it's funny, he just messes up the doubles. Like he'll say five times five is 10 and three times three is six. Hmm. Um, so when we're doing those problems, that's the person who, that's what I look for when I go past his seat because I have that little one-on-one connection from him being in my classroom. I, I can guide that. And he's literally with me less than five minutes, but he has to do that one problem, get it correct and answer my questions. Why are you doing this? Why does this work? And there's no one there to answer it except for him. So there have been times in my classroom when I've had like six kids. Everybody's at your own whiteboard. Everybody has to do a different problem. And then you go. And most of the time the students are like, I wish I could, you know, be your only student. I'm like, <laughs> I wish that teachers could have yeah. one-on-one with every kid. So those are kind of my things is just making myself available so that students can come. And I would say that even if a kid rode a bus, he could run into a teacher's classroom at the end of the day and answer a quick question. And that teacher, you gain so much from having just a conversation with that one student. That's what I was thinking about, um, about the value of this process to the teacher, too. Um, It makes me think, to make it a connection here to our school is is really working on our reading initiatives um and the the thing that we've been working on right now is um conferring which is where a kid is reading an independent reading book and then they um the teachers like stops them while they're having their independent reading time where you know what we used to call dear time drop everything and read it's like that mm-hmm. except for there's accountability through this conversation that you're having one-on-one and so you sit down and um, ask, just ask the kid questions and have like a little tiny mini conference, five minutes or so. And like I'm see, I'm learning about just how much you can learn from about the kid as a reader, which is, this is a, it's not an like, it's not very complicated, but it's just not something I did when I taught reading or knew to do. And so anyway, I'm thinking about there the same thing must exist in math, you know, like mm-hmm. having, and, and while tutoring isn't exactly conferring, it's, those are different things. And I think, I know Marilyn Burns does a lot of that. Um, like that's one of her things she has conferring in math. Um, I think tutoring, you can learn some of the same kinds of things about a student. And I think there's the strategies that you can teach one-on-one, like we're doing prime factorization. And so the number is 356 and the kid has to divide it by two. Well, if you're in there with me by myself, then we're going to have a conversation about what if I said 300 divided by two, 50 divided by two and six divided by two. And I write it 300 plus 50 plus six and put it inside a division bar and put the two there. And then they're able to do those three problems mentally right and add them together and get their answer um you can teach that in front of the class but when it's just him like hey let me show you this really cool thing really that works all the time yeah watch this you want to do half of 38 do half of 40 and half of two and subtract because 40 minus two is 38 so 20 minus one is the answer 20 minus one is 38 that's half (laughs) Or 20 minus 1 is 19. That's half of 38. I was like, wow, I'm really confused. How did 20 minus 1 get to be 38? (laughs) So those kinds of things, I try to do them in class. I try to have students do them in class. But when you can teach them one-on-one, they feel like it's this little special thing that you saved for them. Yeah. And maybe you've already said it once in class, but then (laughs) with you, they're like, whoa, that's awesome. Right. So, J.D., anything you want to say before I start? Well, I was thinking back to the idea of tutoring and should you, I don't even know if the question was, should you teach the algorithm that the teacher's doing? But, you know, 
the whole idea for me of tutoring is assistance because you're not getting it the way it's being taught in class. Right. And whether it is one-on-one for a minute and a half in class while the kids, while somebody, while the rest of the, the students are doing something else, or whether it's after school before the bus gets there, or whether it's, you know, in the afternoons at your house and they come over. I mean, tutoring is just giving that, in my brain, tutoring is giving that student assistance specifically tailored to them to help them get it. And I don't, you know, I think what you're talking about is tutoring wherever it happens. Or maybe, I'm, you know, I just think that that custom tailored hint or assistance or showing them a different way, which is what you guys, in my brain, what you guys try to do in every classroom is find different ways that it'll click for that student. And then, you know, in the concept, and then they can understand all the other things about that concept. So I think it's interesting that there is a delineation between tutoring and teaching. Hmm. Um where, you know, tutoring could just be this little nugget on the side of teaching, or at least it's like what, what you try to do. So that's my brain was, and that's not like really a concrete concept there, but <laughs> yeah, that's where, I, that's where I was going. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So Ruth, you ready for me to share my virtual, yes, your virtual uh, tutoring? Yeah. So I meet, um, one-on-one with a student weekly, which is a fifth grader. And I asked the teacher, what do you want me to work on, you know? And lately, it's been um, comparing fractions. And, I, and I'm just going to be honest and say, it was tough at first. Like, the, all the technical parts and there were times where his Zoom was slow and it just was so awkward and you get kicked off. And But we've... we've all the things happen, you know, the the, the, the siblings things. and, you know, just all the things or the links don't work or whatever. Um, but it, we've gotten, you know, we're we're many weeks into this of of meeting virtually and we and we've like hit our stride. And, and it and I hit this point, I would say last week where the technology is no longer the big hindrance that it was, you know, the distance there you finally after a while can get to this point of like, okay, we can do this. Um, okay, we can do it. So if you're in that boat, like I think you'll get there. I could keep, keep at it. So I would say one of my favorite moments was last week when we were simply playing fraction war. We, I, we were using playing card IO, which we've talked about before is, is the site where you can play cards together. And it's too hard to really explain how, how it works but you're really playing with the same deck of cards it's magic it is pretty magic um and we were playing war and so he would flip over a card from his pile and i would flip over a card from my pile and he was um saying oh i think yours is bigger oh and oh i think mine is bigger and he got the first one right and i think the first one just happened to be the same denominator which was great um and then the second one I, I don't remember what the problem was, but he got it wrong. His like, oh, mine's bigger or whatever was wrong. And I said, huh, I'm not so sure about that. I need you to convince me. And I, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I quickly flipped over and, and sent him a link to a, a virtual manipulative site where I wanted him to build it and, and prove that it was bigger or not. And so I sent him to um, the math learning Math Learning Center, that it's called? Mm-hmm. Math Learning Center, frac- the particular fraction one. And sort of like you were talking about, um, because we've been working together so much, I know that he prefers a circle model, which most kids do. The, 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 you know, the, the, the um, research says most, if most kids have to draw a model, they're going to draw a circle model. But he, he prefers the circle model. And so I showed him where that was on this app. And then he just like went, he just went, for it i didn't even have to show him how to use it he just clicked on it and knew exactly it was very intuitive i think that has something to say about him but i also think and the app but i think in general teachers might be like oh i haven't taught them this this app before this is i have to take time to show it no just let the kid figure it out there's a there's there's beauty in that um and it and it became so effortless for him to go look on one s- slide, get the fractions, flip over to the next tab, 
and and make the two fractions. He was even like figured out how to rotate them so that he was kind of comparing them. You could overlap them to compare them. Um, and we had such good discoveries through that. It was just really cool. When I when I pull and it's not really the math side of it, but the user, you know, using the technologies and the I don't know, I don't, I don't want to call it manipulating the 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 websites or the so it sounds like he really quickly was able to, you know, jump to this tab, find the thing, jump to this tab, do this. That to me sounds, you know, some next level understanding of, you know, technologically on a computer how right. to use those tools and and navigate yeah um i worked with a professor this week who absolutely had none of that mm-hmm. like <laughs> i was on a, a call with with this professor and first off he was on the call twice he had opened up in two different tabs <laughs> and it was bad, bad echo and i said well i'm going to kick you out of one and then you'll be on the other one he said well, i only see you one place i said well i'm pretty sure you're on here twice and i turned it off and he said, oh, you're gone. I'm like, well, no, because you can still hear me and I can still see you. Well, where'd you go? I'm like, there must be another tab somewhere. And so, I mean, <laughs> he, and it wasn't like he, he just, it's just not what he has d- done. And, yeah. and, you know, showing him through that, he under, you know, he had no, no problem with his content or even what he was trying to do for his online course. It was the understanding of the tools and how they work. And, you know, because I am someone who learns quickly, I'm an early adopter and a lot of that stuff. I don't, in the past, that was never something I thought, let me make sure they know how to open a new tab or let me make sure they know how to switch between tabs. And he was, he was getting excited and it was, it was funny and, and fun (laughs) for me to, you know, to be able to show him to this thing and, and, you know, well, let me go check this one. And so he, instead of like open another tab, he would just close down. So boom, all of a sudden he leaves the call. Oh my gosh! And then, well, but then, like in two, a minute later, boom, he's back. All right, did that work? I'm like, well, hold on, because you left me for a while, <laughs> and and it was like, I, I'm not saying he's 100% understands the whole concept yet, but he was getting excited because he was learning how to use the the tools and yeah. use the use that that part, and and I think that 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 your student is able to do that means that he's able to move to the grasp and the math right really quickly and and that's 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 not a given yeah well and that's also probably one of the side effects the good side effects of this whole distance learning because teachers have been like okay here's your app and so uh, being face to face we were talking last week about prime factor circles and prime factor tiles giving the kids an iPad and saying figure out what every button does. Yes, it's loud. And yes, they are trying to make the biggest number they can make. But it's kind of like it doesn't take them as long to figure it out after you've given them that option or permission. So I feel like the kids who are at home are for sure using way more technology, even if it's something that they would have used in the classroom. Now, when you're at home, you get to just keep playing with it. So yeah. And Math Learning Center, if he'd ever used any of those, a lot of the buttons are the same. I just, on the other tab, while Jay was talking about being on the other tab, checked out the fraction one because I don't think I knew that they had a fraction one. So yeah. I'm excited for to use that one. And and kind of, I think I sort of said this, but it didn't start out like that. He he wasn't as fluent with going back and forth between tabs and going back to the Zoom and getting the link and, you know... Um, we've gotten there, you know, an important thing that I would add is I made myself try zoom on a Chromebook. So all our kids have Chromebooks and I made myself try the experience on a Chromebook. And that really helped me work with them better because I saw just how like dumbed down zoom is. There are so many things that are not in the. Is it the Chrome app zoom or the web browser based zoom? Probably the Chrome app, but I'm not really sure. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know the difference between them. I just know that they're that they're, that there's different ways they yeah. can do it. I was trying to lead a PD for teacher assistants about how to get better at Zoom so that they could work one on one with kids, and 
I had all these things ready to teach them. And then I get on the Chromebook version, which is how they're accessing it at school. And I'm like, oh, crap, you don't have any of those cool things I wanted to show you. So it changed my my plan a little bit. So that's it. You know, try it from the student's perspective if you can. And then this might be self-explanatory, but, you know, maybe not. An, an app like the Math Learning Center, every kid has their own, you open your own, right? So if I say you open Math Learning Center, I can't see your work unless I ask you to share your screen. And so there's a bit of like trusting the kid to do what they need to do. But um, that's the first thing if you're tutoring, I think that's the first thing they got to learn how to do is share their screen and unshare their screen right. so that on those kinds of things where you're not working within the same virtual space, um, you can see what they're up to. So, um, And then f- related to that, so all of this is about use models. I have a lot to say about it. But the other thing is that you've got to take some time on your own just to learn what's out there, what what apps are out or what websites are out there related to virtual manipulatives and know which one is the best for your particular need. Like I was thinking about how, you know, Ruth, Ruth would hit that uh, that particular um, hiccup, like they can't compare the fractions and you'd go to your wall and, or your closet and you'd get the fraction towers out or something or, you know, you'd pick the manipulative. Well, you've got to have, you got to know what choices are out there to know what to pick first. So I had done a little research about the fraction one, so that was easy. And if it was something... Of, we kind of talked about that with being one of the five best practices. So there's definitely merit in this is the lesson I'm getting ready to teach. What kind of hiccups might I have? What kind of questions might the students have? And knowing that I'm going to use a model, well, I should probably get the models that are fraction bars that have the name of the fraction on them instead of, for me, my circles are just blank. And the only way you know it's a fourth is if you've put it together. And if I'm trying to have you quickly model a problem to prove this comparison, I don't want you to spend the time to put the circles together. So it's, we called it, you called it pedagogical content knowledge, right? Where you think about what problems are going to arise and kind of have that tool in your back pocket. Yeah. And I think as you get more experience, you have more tools in your back pocket that you haven't really put there for this lesson. Um, but there's definitely merit in thinking about what it is that you could give access to them to. Yeah. Tracy, what we work, you were doing something with me this week and we ended up comparing fractions in the process of it. And you were, you know, I don't remember what it was. It was something you were asking me to help you with. And many times it would be, um, the fractions that I was comparing quickly, trying to equip, compare them in my head, I realized I was struggling. Like three-fourths and five-sixths or three, you know, something that was very close to each other or, you know, three-fourths and seven-ninths or something something like that that I'm like, yeah. oh, I don't really, you know, there's a, a lot of real quick, oh, I know that one's bigger than this one because you know, they share denominator, they share numerator, or, you know, it's really obvious, but some of those were not really obvious. And I'm trying to think, daggone, what's, you know, mentally, how do I do this? And my quick, you know, there are, there's some, some set of of fractions that you could give me that I could just tell because I know that I can just easily like one eighth and three quarters. Yeah. But then there's some that I can get like three quarters and three halves or, yeah, or, or you know, or th- three quarters and two quarters, or that's a dumb example. But but some of them were, were tough. And I was, you earlier, you were talking about the circle model is what students would gravitate to. Well, I was thinking that that time a circle model, when they're close, is not helpful for right. me. Right. And I would, I would rather see like completion along a rectangle, rectangular, no, along linear. a rectangle, linear, so that I could line them up and see. You know, this one definitely more of it shaded than this one. Where a circle, you'd almost have to overlay them and see the difference for that to work. And that, and I was, that part didn't click really until you were speaking. You yeah. know, a few minutes ago, 
I was like, well, that's, you know, I, I, of course I go to the, the circle, the pizza model first, because it's just, you know what I think of, but it doesn't, ha- I was thinking that's not that wouldn't help me if they were really close. So that's exactly what we did. We had our last problem just so happened. It was perfect. Um, our last problem was super close. It was like one fortieth away. We had maybe three fifths and whatever eighths is really close to that. Um, and so he made the circles and we couldn't tell. And he actually thought it was the other one that mm-hmm. was bigger. Um, and so then I'm like, hmm, let's try a different model. And we, we laid it out with um, linear models and saw like the tiny little sliver. And then I had I wanted him to see that getting equivalent fractions is really the only way to know mathematically for sure. And so I, I modeled a pro- I had I just did it on like a whiteboard because there was no... There's no tool that I know of that would easily go to 40ths, you know, no visual tool. There, right. there might be one, but I don't know about it. So anyway, yes, exactly. I had that exact same thing happen, and, and we went to the linear model. Cool. Okay, point number two. <laughs> That's funny. It's about pointing. <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> so this seems small, but it felt important yesterday when I was working with him. Um, in... We use he and I use Jamboard a lot because he can write on it and I can write on the same one at the same time. I like it better than Google Slides for any kind of writing because it's so hard to write with. There is a line tool where you can write, but it's so hard. And Jamboard's meant to write on from both sides. And you can share it without having to screen share. Exactly, but he still likes to screen share. This is this is an interesting point. He he really he just screen shares all the time now. Unless right. I tell him not to, unless I say let me share my screen, he screen shares all the time. But so I split my screen so I've got his face and his screen share on one side, and then my version of the Jamboard over here, so I can see exactly what he's seeing. Because sometimes he's pointing with his cursor, mm-hmm. and I can't see it. So. Anyway, I do both at the same time, so I'm looking at it twice. Um, but I realize how much of what we do as math teachers in person is like, hey, this one right here, and you're pointing to the thing. And if you're not thinking through how to do that, there's you're going to miss, the kid's going to miss so much. Well, I can't know? tell you how many times I've been talking to somebody. I'm like, this one, oh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm pointing to my screen. Like, you can see me. Yeah. Like, it clicks uh, over and over in a day yeah. how many times I do that. And now it's now it's just, fu- it's, it's funny to the point of like, oh, yeah, I was pointing my screen again. Yeah. So, so here's a little, this might be getting a little too much in the weeds, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you, on Jamboard, you have the pen tools. But at the bottom, you also have a laser pointer mm-hmm. tool. And if you're sometimes you would be like at first when I started, I would be like, hey, this fraction and I would circle it with the pin tool. Well, it takes a second for the pin tool drawing to show up on their mm-hmm. screen. You have to finish the whole motion and then it'll start. So if you use the laser pointer, it's like basically it sort of shows up quicker and then it disappears. So you you like circle something or, you know, scribble something and then it disappears. And that's how, that's been my favorite way to get his attention. When I'm talking, I'm like, hey, this fraction right here and I'm circling with the it's laser like pointer. like a temporary highlighter. Yes. Okay. Hmm. So, um, and it's at the bottom of the toolbar mm-hmm. on the left. So yesterday we were, we had flipped over and we're doing something in Google Slides because, and I don't really exactly know why, Maybe because the thing I wanted to work on was already in Google Slides. And I was like, dang on, I need the laser pointer. And I, there is no laser pointer thing. And and all the tools are so clunky for that whole pointing out. So I, I pulled a Teresa Wills trick out of the bag. Um, she, when she's like doing this group discussion with students, she draws an, a shape of an arrow, like, you know how there's squares and circles and mm-hmm. semi hmm. semicircles or whatever. She picks the arrow, draws that, and then she moves it as an object to point. So we were hmm. yesterday with my guy, I was trying to he he was like, five thirds, that's not right. That's not real. He didn't he didn't <laughs> understand he hadn't he it's been a it's while. It's improper, but it's yeah, real. Yeah, he <laughs> exactly. He he was like not understanding an improper fraction and so i quick drew a model pasted it in there and and then drew 
created an arrow. I, I wouldn't say drew an arrow, created an arrow. And then I was like moving it like one, look, one third, move it, two thirds, move it, three thirds. So I was pointing and counting. And if I had not seen Teresa Wills do that as part of her, like facilitating a discussion, I wouldn't have known. I probably would have said, look, I have to share my screen, blah, blah, blah. But I was able to pull that little trick out of the bag real fast. That's a cool thing. I used a lot of arrows when, when I worked for Lynchburg City Schools and we're making all sorts of like help documents and step-by-step things. You could take a screenshot of something on the screen and say, click on the such and such. Well, they can look at a picture of it and still not find it on that (laughs) little picture. Yeah. So I often would have either a red like oval drawn around it or a red arrow pointing right this piece right here. And, and, you know, I, I, I would think about that right away for, you know, taking little figures for a, a help document, but I don't know that I would have thought about it for live showing somebody mm-hmm. where it is. Yeah. Okay. My third point. So point number two is point and, and figure out how you can do that. And point number three is to just slow down. Um, and that's really, I'm preaching to myself. Um, two, two ways that I think that comes up. One is the delay in the conversation if you, I, I like hear the kids say something and then I want to respond right away because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Or I agree with you or what's the, you know, ask the follow up question. But often I notice he's just like taking a breath and then I've started to talk over him this, you know, for his second sentence. And I, I noticed yesterday that I need to like give a whole nother second or two before I respond because he often had more to say he just was thinking about it you know and I kept cutting him off and I'd say oh you go (laughs) you know so I think I need to get purposeful about slow down let him finish his full thought um but sometimes it gets so exciting because he's learning so much right me it's usually (laughs) I'm trying to hit that joke just right in the conversation and I end up getting covered up yeah Yeah, the timing is so hard on the on the Dang, Zoom. It's really hurting my joke game. Yeah. The second one is, the second example is, um, I'm pulling up a picture so I can remember what was happening. What? We had point one, two, three. Now we're example two. Shut up. <laughs> um, okay. So <laughs> the strategy that we were talking about was if he, he understood like if if numerators are the same, what to do? If denominators are what the same, are the same, what to do? He's got those, and so his next strategy was draw a number line, and you know he's getting there. He's getting there on 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 making the number line with equal parts and where to place them. He's he's really developing that skill. So he knew where to put five eighths on this number line, and he knew one fourth was somewhere over here on the left, but he couldn't quite make figure out where, which that he's, I mean, he still knew which one was bigger, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, one of these is equal to the one fourth that you're trying to place. And, and that wasn't within his strategies yet. And so, but he, he on his own was like, I'll draw a model. And so he drew mm-hmm. one for like with the jam board, with the cursor, it's pretty crappy, but he's doing it. He's drawing a, <laughs> um, not his drawing is crappy, but just the, the mechanics of drawing with right. your cursor is crappy. So he drew a circle and he shaded in one fourth and then he drew another circle and he broke it up into eight parts. He counted that they were all eight parts. He, sh- he started to shade in down here and then he realized, Ooh, let me shade in in the same, same part area. of the circle, you know, and, and mm-hmm. erased and, and shaded in two more. And then he was like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, look at that. <laughs> like he like no one had ever noticed that one fourth and two eighths were equal. I mean, he was he 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 doesn't he's not he doesn't emote very much at all. He's a very straight Hey Miss Prophet, check this out. Look at yeah, this. Did you know this? He was he was like, Whoa, you know. And so then placing it on the number line at the placing the one fourth where he had already written two eighths was just like mind blowing. And it was so exciting for me too, clearly. Uh but I had to just wait for him to draw the daggone fraction and use the pencil to color in the thing, you know, and you could be like, oh, let me do it for you. Or here, let me pop this picture in there. And but no, he needed to actually draw the whole thing and and have that moment. So the whole tutoring session is full of those moments of like, oh, we could do this so much faster. But they've got to do that. They've got to label like he he drew his number line and labeled every single number on the all the way to eight eighths. And and it's just part of it. 
Yeah. So faster doesn't mean yeah. They sometimes that person needs to move at their pace to get it. Yeah. Well, and, in reality, you only had to do that maybe one or two problems instead of here's a whole set of models and let's try to do ten. Right. You know, and so that goes back to your whole slowdown because if they can do one completely by themselves and feel that confidence, then there's no need. Right. To do yep. more because they really have developed a strategy that they own. So totally. Yep. So yeah, those are the things I feel like I've been thinking about lately with tutoring or working one-on-one with kids on in a virtual space. So if, if you have tips or things that you've figured out lately, we'd love to hear them, whether it's in person or virtually. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like hear it in person, like come to my room and tell me in person. No, no. no. <laughs> All right. So I think it's time for takeaways, friends. Yes. Who's got one? Oh, wow. Um, I'm still working on just the whole. Okay. So honest, I've never used Jamboard. And now I'm a little bit curious. Like I need to check that out because I have had a couple Zoom sessions with the kids who are at home on quarantine. And you are exactly right when they are home in quarantine and they haven't had access to it, like share your screen. You know, are you on an iPad? Are you on a computer? I don't know how to tell you to share your screen. So Mm -hmm. just like we were talking about, you know, being prepared, I probably should spend some time looking at Jamboard and, you know, figuring out how to do those things. Even just a kid on an iPad trying to open a Google slide so they can edit it and send it back to me. There's a little bit of a different feature that you have to do on an iPad that you don't do on a computer. And I found that out yeah. just from a kid in my class. So, yeah. Okay. Click that edit button. Yeah. yeah. I, and you kind of made me, I guess, put it into, into easier to understand words, at least for me. Um, when I, in trying to assist somebody or help somebody online, I always show them on my screen how I'm doing it because it's my screen and I can control it. Um, but when I when I try to show somebody, you know, how to do something, say I go to their office in the past um, to show them something, they would always say, you do it. And I would say, no, no, you sit. I would tell them, you drive, and I'll just sh- tell you how to do it. That way you're learning as you go. Well, I don't default to that when I'm teaching them online. I need to. Hmm. And I need to, you know, instead of me jumping to, well, let me show you how I do on my screen, I should say, why don't you share your screen and show me what you're doing? And I have done that. It's not like I don't don't ever, but it's not my default to let them show me and let them drive so that because, you know, the the common sense trainer part of my brain says they're going to learn it quicker if they're driving than just watching me, but I don't I don't default to that as much as I should. And so that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to work on. And I think listening you talk about working with your student and me reflecting on how, you know how it applies to me has helped me see that a little better. Yeah, that's good. Totally. There's there's times when I do both when I'm working with teachers, for yeah. sure. Or I'll go, we'll go back and forth kind of thing. Um, I think I'm going to be just thinking more about your use, use, similar, use smaller numbers or use simpler numbers. I'm going to be thinking about that strategy some more, Ruth, that you talked about. Um, like how to refine it, how to teach kids to do it, when does it work? I don't know. I just I just have some questions about that. So I'm going to be thinking about that some more. That's my takeaway. All right. See you on a run tomorrow. Okay. We, yeah. Hopefully I'm <laughs> old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Just say, let's okay, do yeah. It. All right. See you on a run. All right. Bye.